Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and vegetarians get lower rates on their life insurance. So if you would like to get lower rates on your life insurance, go to healthiq.com slash HWS to support the show and to see if you qualify. Like I said last episode, I'm so excited to have them on board. So check them out, see if you qualify for a lower rate. All right, on today's show, I am excited to have Dr. Cheryl Keller Capone on. She received her PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology from Penn State University in 1999. Her graduate research focused on muscle development and differentiation, and during this time was awarded the Paul Berg Prize in Molecular Biology, the Roberts Graduate Fellowship, and the Frederick J. Wedler Outstanding Doctoral Dissertation Award. In 2009, she returned to Penn State and is currently studying blood cell development with an overall research goal of understanding molecular mechanisms of gene regulation in mammals. Outside of the lab, Cheryl is also a former collegiate runner, who became interested in strength training and movement following a long history and many years of chronic pain. This experience led her uh, interest in pain science, as well as a certification as a personal trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. And when not in the lab or working with clients, she enjoys strength training, running, hiking, swimming, cycling, and spending time with her husband and son in beautiful State College, Pennsylvania. So... What do we talk about in today's episode? We talk about her journey with chronic pain. So you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I've had a lot of different people on talking about their journeys with chronic pain. And it is real. The struggle is real. So we talk about that. We talk about her catalyst for her road to recovery, implementing the biopsychosocial model and functional movement to combat persistent pain, and her empowering advice for those still experiencing persistent pain. So a huge thanks to Cheryl for sharing her story. I know it's not easy. I have done it in the past a little bit, not really, not as much as she has in this episode. So I want to thank Cheryl so, so much for coming on and being open and honest because I know it is not easy. So everyone, thanks so much for tuning in today and enjoy today's episode with Cheryl Keller Capone. Hi, Cheryl. Welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you join me. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. And now you've been on a couple of different uh, physical therapy related podcasts talking about your story with pain. And as you know, I've had a lot of different people come through the podcast talking about their struggles and their victories and their wins and their losses when it comes to more chronic or long-term persistent pain. So I'm really excited to hear your story. So, and with that being said, I will hand over the mic to you and tell us your story. Great. Well, uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to, to share my story. I, I have been on a few other podcasts, as you mentioned, and actually it's been a really a really learning experience and a cathartic experience, if you will, kind of just by, by having the uh, opportunity to tell my story, which I think, uh, as you know, can be important for people going through pain, you know, just to make sure that they feel that they're heard. So uh, my pain actually began um, 
when I was a child, I, I had a, several injuries um, where I, you know, I had a problem with my neck where I turned my head and I couldn't turn it back. And I had some um, back pain later on when I was a little older related to some repetitive um, hyperextension. And at the time, I felt that they were fairly, uh, fairly moderate or severe pain. I, I did not get any treatment for either one of those. I think that as a child, it wasn't really taken seriously. But I, I learned to adapt and, and move on with my life, although having uh, pain on and off all the way through you know, high school and college, it didn't really stop me. I ran cross country and track in high school and college competitively for the, the team. And I, I continued to run and I just sort of accepted it as um, you know, part of who I was or part of the, the cards that I were dealt. And it wasn't until after my son was born in 2005. So I, I always ran, but uh, after my son was born in 2005, I decided I want, when I started back running, I wanted to kind of get back into local racing, like local 5Ks, nothing, you know, real serious. But I, I uh, started back and everything was going great. I, I felt pretty good. Uh, and then there was sort of the, whole minimalist movement in terms of, mm. um, you know, going more toward minimalist running shoes and so forth. And at the time I was, I was wearing uh, motion control shoes and orthotics and I was having some um, in pain, uh, all the, the standard and, and I'm going to use in, in quotes because it's not really very descriptive, but the whole runner's knee and IT band pain. And we, we know now that that doesn't, that's, kind of a meaningless term, but that's what I knew it was at the time. So I, I, I kind of got rid of the, the orthotics and the motion control shoes and everything was going pretty well, except then I had started to develop some both pain and, and tingling in my feet. And I, I was like, well, that's still a little odd, but I, I just kept going. I kept running. And Oddly enough, you know, my, um, my performance continued to improve while my um, pain continued to get worse. It was really kind of a, a strange situation. Uh, I started seeking some medical care, and I was reassured that there was really nothing wrong. So I kept running, and I, I kept having more pain, um, and then... Some other symptoms kind of started in terms of like more tingling a little bit, uh, numbness, and I came down with a, a post-tib uh, injury. And at that point, you know, I think was really the start. So that was right about 2009, and that was really kind of the start of sort of the, the my downfall at the time, um, where I, I did get care. I did get. Um, orthopedic care and physical therapy for the, the post-tib injury. And it was treated as that, although I felt at the time that that was really not the whole story, that there was something else kind of underlying that really wasn't being addressed, but I couldn't put my finger on it. But everything, you know, the care was definitely focused, you know, more on that injury and more of a structural um, diagnosis. And it, it's true, I did have swelling and other symptoms consistent with, you know, that injury. But I also had sort of a more broad kind of symptoms as well. And after going through all the exercise program, and I really wasn't any better. And, um, but I was encouraged 
to keep back to get running. And, and I'm like, well, okay, something's still wrong. Uh, and sure enough, you know, I was back in the orthopedist a couple months later with a tibial stress fracture. <laughs> so, I mean, right away, I'm like, you know, something, something's going on, something's not right. And uh, I felt that I really wasn't, um, you know, that, that they weren't really taking my concerns seriously, or they were not um, looking at the big picture. And this may, you know, may, may not go back to, you know, the fact that, you know, I did have a history of, you know, pain and injury since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I am hypermobile. Uh, I, I do meet the, all those, uh, I can never remember the word. Is it like Brighton and Bighton, Brighton and Baton criteria or mm-hmm. whatever those criteria are for, you know, benign hypermobility. So, uh, you know, I always been kind of a little klutzy, uh, you know, I, a little difficult to control sometimes. Um, you know, range of motion and, and, and so forth. And I'm like, you know, I, I feel like I'm really struggling here. Something's still not, you know, going well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was kind of back and forth to a number of different um, doctors and I had several rounds of physical therapy. And it seems like each person I talked to was sort of more narrowly focused on one area of the body or the other where I was claiming pain. And it's true, the pain was kind of getting wider and wider and, and, and more broad. And, and I really felt like, really, this is, this is, this is not helpful. You know, it's something, something someone needs to kind of take a more broad approach. And, it, you know, things got a little worse then. And, I, you know, I started having more widespread pain and more back pain. And then I started having pain in my arm and, and then uh, around 2013, so this has been going on for a couple of years, I had another injury where I was outside weeding um, and I kind of did, it wasn't like a flexion extension, but it was more of a single arm row mm-hmm. with my arm. And at that point, uh, something felt odd. I felt like kind of a, a twist in my sort of mid back and, and it, it was definitely a, a, a a threat, a perceived threat, you know, at, at mm-hmm. that point. And, and I didn't feel any pain, but then the next day I woke up and, you know, my whole leg was tingling and numb and, you know, so I'm back in the, in the orthopedist. And of course they don't find really anything, a few MRIs. And, you know, I did have some, some changes, but, you know, was told it was really not any different than what would be expected for normal age related changes. I do have a spondy at L4, L5, mm-hmm. Uh, which I hadn't been aware of, but that may have correlated to the back injury as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, nothing, there was, you know, imaging, there was no direct, uh, there was nothing that could really correlate and bring everything all together. And, and that's not surprising looking back. Uh, and, and I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily even um, expecting any sort of specific diagnosis. In fact, I was actually very frustrated by the fact that individual providers we're focusing on one thing or another and trying to pin it down to one particular um, sort of structural cause, mm-hmm. because I felt that none of those that were being offered could provide an ex- uh, explanation for the vast, you know, number of symptoms that I was experiencing. And at that point, uh, things just then really kind of spiraled out of control. I would say it's that where I felt uh, shortly after that injury is where I felt that. I kind of crossed over into uh, sort of the, the central 
central sensitization symptoms where things really started getting out of control. I was having um, high blood pressure. I never had high blood pressure in my life. I started having um, some vision problems. I started when I turned my head to the right, I would come down with vertigo. I, I wound up being like nauseous and having mild vertigo for well over a year. Mm. You know, so, so at that point, my nervous system had just decided that it had had enough and, and it was really just kind of done. <laughs> yeah. and, and so that, that was very stressful and, and, um, and no doubt, you know, at that point too, I mean, I think there were, was so many different factors that were kind of playing in and I was very frustrated that I felt like no one would help me as I went to different clinicians. They mostly was like, well, there's nothing really wrong with you. And I was like, well, something is wrong. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not a structural thing, but something is wrong. I need help. And, and my function really started to decline. Um, I was even having some trouble with like a mild foot drop where I would, I'd have trouble going upstairs or I'd be tripping over my feet mm. um, and going up curbs. You know, so I was having not just pain, but actually some functional problems too. Um, and um, and then the numbness too, which it, it was for me an indication. Well, yes, there were some central symptoms, but there were also some um, more biomechanical issues going on as well. Because if you know, I it was like I said, it wasn't just pain, but it was also some numbness and tingling. Uh, and you know, so but but it it got, got to be very scary at that point where I felt like it was such a vast array of of symptoms and and you know I went to my primary care and at one point they even did a brain scan to look for MS mm-hmm. and you know I thought I really because this is getting like really out of control I was having trouble a little bit not trouble walking to the point where I actually needed um, physical like assistance to walk but I felt like I was dragging my right leg mm-hmm. behind me um, like I wasn't coming through normally during swing phase. I kind of felt like that was something was kind of not working correctly, you know, and in hindsight, I think that, you know, it, it was essentially a lot of different um, compensations and adaptations that were, you know, leading toward um, altered motor patterns and altered biomechanics. And I think that, you know, my body adapted as much as it could. And then it just, said that's it we're done you know your nervous system and and everything is you know is is not able to handle this level of stress and and I don't want to I don't want to be dramatic and and be inappropriate and say things shut down because that's not that's not you know scientifically correct but Mm -hmm. I I think that I was um compensating and I I could no longer my body could no longer um compensate I felt like I was losing the ability to control my body in a way like in a functional way and you know I I felt like I couldn't really communicate that and and because I had really in general a pretty you know very healthy lifestyle I mean I was a runner and you know I look fit and they'd ask me questions about my nutrition and all my blood work would came come back okay and they're like well there's really nothing wrong I'm like something is wrong you know (laughs) so that so I finally kind of was at rock bottom. I really felt like I had no idea what to do. Um, and I ran into a physical therapist uh, the fall of 2013-ish or so. Yeah, and now and, this is eight years yeah. then after 
you after you had your your child and started running again in 2005 you know aside from pain that you'd had in childhood and then through adolescence so you're talking 8 years 2005 to 2013 2014 right i mean that's a long time no, I would no say, wonder you yeah. were anxious and frustrated and yeah actually i think I, I didn't really start having too many problems i would say until 2008 ish mm -hmm. and then 2009 is really when i you know stopped wearing the orthotics and things started going downhill but yeah this was this was ongoing for years yeah uh, you know and and i the thing is i kept running you know, I'm a runner and runners like to run. Yes. And I actually didn't feel that I was, no doubt that I, there was, you know, fear avoidance with certain patterns and movement. And I'm not denying that, but in general, um, you know, I lived my whole life with some sort of pain and, you know, usually just kept going because I liked to run. So I would just do it, but I actually had to stop after a while. Cause I, I was actually like limp running, which was just, I decided it was just stupid. And, you know, it was, I was, not really helping myself at that point. <laughs> yeah, you're not really serving yourself in in a positive way at that point, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I was it was increase it was increasing my pain every time I went out, and what I kept doing it is because I really wanted to hold on to the uh, emotional and social aspects of running. You know, yeah. where uh, I, I had my friends and and I wanted to do this, and this is what I did, and my identity. So I, I actually yeah. tried to hold on to that as long as I possibly could. You know, in a way, I felt I was giving up. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think that that's uncommon in any way. I think a lot of people that are living with persistent pain, they don't want to let go of those things that make them feel normal. Because right. you don't want your new normal to be not doing the things that you really love to do. Yes. Exactly. And, and that's difficult too. And I also, I, you know, and I had recognized, I'm like, wow, I am, I wasn't, at that time I wasn't even 40 years old. And I thought, I, I cannot live the rest of my life like this. You no. know, this is, this is not, I mean, and I never was at the point where I, you know, would felt that I considered suicide or anything. You know, I was not there, but I, I said, I, I cannot do this. I cannot live out my life this way. I, something has to change. Yeah. You know? and, and so then so what I need help. Yeah. What, what was so, that change? Yeah, so, what did you seek out? So I happened to run into uh, this, this physical therapist that I knew. And ironically, he was the same physical therapist who had treated me for the uh, post-tib injury several years earlier, except he had left to uh, start his own practice. And although it didn't really help me with the underlying problem at that time, he had started a KSPT business. And I kind of felt at that point that I had pretty much exhausted my um what i could go through for the standard you know standard medical route where i'm getting insurance coverage and this and that they basically were like well there's nothing more we can do for you you know i had tried a few injections and you know, none of that worked of course anyway so i i ran into him and so he started a cash pp business and i thought okay great then i actually looked at that as an opportunity because i felt that not having to deal with insurance um was actually you know, sort of a, a blessing in that respect. Now, I was lucky that financially I was able to um, go that route and not everyone has that opportunity. But, you know, I saw him and I said, you know, I'm a mess here, help me, please. And, and so, you know, he said, look, he said, you know, I don't know what's going on and, you know, but we're gonna work through it together. And even the most complex cases, you know, you can make, we can make progress if, we, you know, we just, kind of take it slow and move forward. 
And, you know, I, I felt really reassured by that because after being, seeing so many different people who, you know, thought they knew what was wrong with me and then I failed their treatment and was kind of blamed the patient sort of thing, uh, this, this is a very refreshing reply, response to me. And, you know, so, so the, he said, look, this is what we're, you know, he's like, I, I don't know what exactly we're going to do, but my overall plan is we're going to calm the nervous system and then we're going to slowly work on function. And I thought, perfect. You know, I, I was really still stressed at the time, of course, and, but this seemed like a fantastic idea for me. You know, I was actually not really seeking a, you know, I think I, I was going to say a structural diagnosis because, you know, I was already had accepted the fact that there was something more broad. There was a more broad picture kind of going on and the mo many different factors were at play. Um, but it seemed that until I started seeing him, I don't think that anyone else really sort of recognized that approach. And, you know, this was back in four years ago, five years ago. Um, so I think things are changing now in, in, you know, recognition of the BPS model and so forth, so yeah, forth. I but um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think that it, it wasn't really there at, at that time or, or it wasn't as many people weren't really recognizing that as a, as a treatment um, model or guideline. So, you know, and that's essentially what we did. The very first thing, of course, um, and we, he did do, he was um, trained as a orthopedic manual therapist. And we kind of spent about, uh, so I thought of an hour, like every week. And we spent kind of the first half hour with little manual therapy, which I know there's some controversy about personally. I found it really I know. helpful. No. I, I mean, I look at it this way. You do the right treatment, what you feel is the right or the best treatment for that patient at that time. And if yeah. that means that you're putting your hands on someone and that you're guiding them or you're doing some assisted stretching or what have you, if it's what you feel is the best treatment for the patient at that time and the patient has a positive response to that treatment, then great. If they don't, exactly. it's not the right thing. I've had patients with CRPS who are like, I don't even want you to be within two feet of me. So I don't, I, I mean, sure, sure. in their space. So I don't, you know, it, and to do manual therapy on someone like that would be disastrous, disastrous. So mm -hmm. yeah, I agree. It's, it's the right patient, the right time, the right treatment, and it has to be individualized. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, strength trainers, and more. Like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. These savings are exclusive to Health IQ, and you must qualify to get the special rate. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash H-W-S. Agree. But then, you know, but you have to kind of get yourself to a point where you have enough strength to then, or, or coordination or motor patterning or movement competency, right, in order to go that direction. Yeah, you know, there, there's, sure. you know, you, So that's, yeah, and I think that, you know, that was an important um, switch point, I think, for me too, to, well, to recognize that um, I was going to have to, to own this. I was going to have to own my pain and own my recovery and be responsible, right? So 
I, of course, I did get help both from this physical therapist and actually from a chiropractor. Um, but in the end, I felt that, you know, I'm, I was going to take responsibility and I was going to have to, um, you know, really, really, really own my, my situation and say, I'm going to continue to improve myself. And I, I still honestly still do that. You know, I have, I have yet to be able to do a full pull up by myself, <laughs> but you know, I oh, feel please, like, neither you know, do I. I'm going to work towards that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to do that and I'm going to improve you know, my, uh, my strength and my ability. And I figure, you know, I'm 46 years old now, but I feel stronger and more confident in my um, body than I have in many, many years, really, maybe all my life that I can remember, to be honest. I mean, I'm not as fast as I was when I was 20. But, you know, I feel, um, I feel amazing now, relatively speaking. So yeah, and that's, but in interest, And that is amazing, you know, and I love the fact that you said, like, I'm going to take ownership and responsibility for myself and my recovery. And what that tells me is that you certainly have a good team around you that's empowering you versus making you dependent on them. And that's a big difference there. Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the most helpful phrases uh, that um, the physical therapist said to me uh, and this was early on, you know, not necessarily like the first visit or two, but, you know, once we kind of established a, a good rapport and, and he, you know, he had said, you know what, he said, you know, Cheryl, I don't see anything that would preclude a full recovery. So he wasn't really saying that it was going to be easy or that it was going to be quick, but he was telling me that there was nothing, no red flags or, or that he thought that I couldn't overcome. And I, the, the, that was such a powerful phrase for me because at the time, I don't think I quite appreciated it, but I, I, I held on to that. And even when I had some doubts and there were definitely times where I was doubting or, or more confident and there's that roller coaster, but I thought, okay, if there's really nothing that I can't get by, then I'm going to keep working toward it. it it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be fast. It took a few years, <laughs> but you know, Hey, I, now I've, done a triathlon, right? So in this past June, and I, I ran my first K, 5K um, just a few weeks ago, and that's the first 5K I have done since 2009. So I, I feel like I did make it back, woohoo, you know? Yeah, what a great, what a great feeling that must have been when you crossed the finish line. Yeah, I honestly, I, I, I got to the point where you know, oh, I, I'm, I don't know if I'll ever run again, you know, which was actually psychologically, right, that was a big, big thing to deal with. Um, although interestingly, once I got into the strength training, and although I had resisted that most of my life as being a runner and everything, <laughs> but once I actually got into the strength training and saw that, saw what training, strength training can do both from a, a physical strength standpoint, as well as just the, the, the effect on the nervous system is, itself, um, I had decided that if I had to choose between the two, I would choose strength training as much as I had always identified as a runner because I felt like it had such a, the strength training had such a positive difference, you know, on my life. But when I actually got to the point where I'm, you know, actually back and running, you know, I, it's, it's like an amazing experience and I, I feel like I really try to appreciate it, you know, every time I'm out there. That's awesome. And now from your point of view and your recovery and the time that you spent down with persistent pain to where you are now, if you were to give 
advice to someone who's maybe in the weeds right now, they're having this chronic pain, what advice would you give them? I would say that um, there is most likely a path forward for everyone. And, you know, you really just have to um, find the right person um, who can work with you, you know, to help you with your journey. But I think that that, you know, that, that's really, um, not everyone's taking the same path, right? And there might be rocks in your path or dense bush, whatever you have to, you know, cut down as you go through. But in, in general, I, I, you know, I, I, there's, there's probably a path forward. And, and I think that you just gotta, you know, take ownership of your own path. Of course, help along the way, but that, that's where I would, um, yeah. And now that you aren't experiencing a lot of the symptoms that you were experiencing back at the peak of, of your sort of persistent pain journey, do you still feel like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop? Like, oh, I, I have to be careful doing X, Y, and Z because the pain could come back? Or do you feel like you're beyond that and you're really in, in the place now where that's not even in the back of your mind? Hmm. That's a really good question. Uh, I have sort of a, two different things I think to say about that. First is that I think that um, although um, we don't necessarily want to blame pain on necessarily, you know, structural issues, I, I do have this spondy. And when I sleep in a, currently, even when I sleep in a a bed that in which my pelvis sinks down, where it would put me in, in a lot of extension, I can sometimes still wake up with some numbness in my legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether or not that's due to this bondy, I honestly don't know. But um, so that's something that I think I, I am careful about and that, that I may need to just be careful about that. Um, if it's a, sometimes I'll just even put a, a little bit of a pillow or a couple the towel underneath my pelvis just to, to stay neutral. So I think that, you know, for me, there is perhaps some, you know, mechanical thing that, that might be still a factor, but, you know, which then it comes up on travel and so forth. Uh, but in general, I don't really let it bother me. I recognize now that that can happen if I, if I sleep in a really soft bed. So I either avoid it or if I wake up with some numbness, then I just recognize that and make adjustment for the next night and it's fine. So, you know, that I, I guess psychologically I've learned to just say, okay, no big deal. That happened. And it only really happens in that situation. So I'm good. You know, I also, also during this whole, whole recovery the the physical therapist had encouraged me to get my um, certification as a personal trainer, which I really just kind of do more of as a hobby, but I did learn a lot about um, exercise and exercise progression. And uh, certainly I'm, you know, not an expert on pain and, and injury, but, you know, if I'm having some, you know, little discomfort here and there, uh, I, I will uh, think about the exercises that I'm doing and just maybe make an adjustment. And I feel that I continue to make progress. So I do still put a, a fair amount of time in. I'm not concerned that all of a sudden something is going to come rushing back and I'm going to be um, back in the throes of chronic pain. You know, that that is really not a concern. But I also am not, I also don't expect that I'll never have any pain again. Mm-hmm. But I feel like now I'm, for, I'm um, in a position where if something comes up, I can kind of figure out, you know, what to do about it. And I mean, if I really need to see a clinician, I would, you know, go see someone. But for the most part, I, 
kind of address these little things as they come up along the way and, and I'm good. So I feel pretty confident. I feel like my function continues to improve. I feel like my performance and running, cycling and swimming continues to improve. And by continuing to focusing on function, you know, I, I feel that, that that's been a good guide for me. And so I, I feel pretty recovered. I think that's great. And now before we end, I just have one more question. That's a question I ask everyone. And that is, what advice, knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think it's important to be aware of your biases. I think that um, both um, as a runner, as a patient, and as a a researcher, uh, because I am a scientist, I think that when I was younger, I, I was not aware as much of bias. And of course, we, we are all biased because we're human. <laughs> so that is, that is a normal human condition. But I think being aware of your bias and recognizing that theories and hypotheses change as new evidence develops. So, um, you know, never be too um, tied or tied to or invested in any one particular uh, hypothesis, if you will. So try to be open to evidence, essentially, is, is, I think would be my advice. I think that's great advice and one that a lot of people sure, uh, I think, can take advantage of. But I want to thank you for coming on and kind of sharing your experience. And, you know, you now feel like you have the tools that if something comes up, an ache or a pain, that you have the tools that you yourself can now kind of take care of yourself and own your, own your body and take responsibility for it. And I think that is a great outcome for someone who had lived so long with persistent pain. So I just want to thank you for sharing all of that and for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me and for giving me this opportunity. And, and I, always, uh, I always enjoy, um, you know, talking to, to new people and, and to different physical therapists and, and uh, to really uh, have the opportunity to share my story with everyone. So thank you very much, Karen. If people have questions for you, where can they find you? Probably the easiest place would be Twitter. Uh, I am on there probably more than several times a day. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm on it. Yeah, I'm on it. Uh, Keller Capone, PhD. Um, and that's my, my Twitter handle. So that would be a, a good place probably to get in touch with me. Great. And we'll, we will have a link to that in the show notes under this episode at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So again, a huge thank you to Cheryl for coming on and being brave and sharing her story because I, coming from experience, I know it's not easy. Um, So thank you again to Cheryl and thanks to all of you for tuning in and listening. Have a great couple days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks again to Cheryl and to the sponsor for today's podcast, Health IQ. They are an insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, vegetarians, and hopefully physical therapists get lower rates on their life insurance. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com slash H-W-S. So big thank you to Health IQ and thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.